It's Christmas! Well, tonight, thank God it's there instead of you. Oh, Christmas Day, my ass. I'm driving home for Christmas. Oh, I can't wait to see those faces. Christmas to you and all. Ooh. It's the October episode of Merry Britsmas. Well, actually, it's the first of two October episodes. I realised I loved Halloween too much to ignore it this year, and as so many of my fellow Christmas podcasters switched to Halloween love fests in October, I thought I'd dip my toes in the Camp Crystal Lake too. So I'm releasing an episode with slightly spooky Christmas connections, as I did last year, and an extra episode this month that's focused on pure Halloween horror, or as close to that as us Brits can get. So hide beneath the covers as we delve into a ghost-filled Christmas special from last year, an ancient rite in midwinter, and a haunting album from a Scottish indie legend. If you grew up in the UK in the last few decades, or even knew any children in that time, you'd probably be aware of Horrible Histories. It started life as a best-selling book series, but moved to television in 2009. The franchise became a huge hit with children and schools across the land using it for educational content, but also the funny humour that was both suitable for children and adults. Songs about historical figures in modern styles, and skits that showed the odd and gruesome side of history, captured the imagination perfectly going on to spawn a game show spin-off, movies about historical figures, and live stage shows. The team behind the show, the actors and the creators, became a close-knit group and went on to create an underrated fantasy comedy show called Yonderland. Once that finished, the gang decided to stick together still and went back to an old idea they had about Haunted House. They said they realised the boredom of eternity and the existential aspects of the ghost idea was unique. They realised it was a house-share sitcom, and as soon as you stop thinking about those kind of major drama stakes, you unlock a story that is really domestic and petty. And so Ghosts premiered in April 2019 on the BBC. and it introduced us to a couple, Alison and Mike. When Alison inherits a vast old decaying residency in the countryside called Button House, unaware she had privileged ancestors. In the very first episode, she suffers a fall down the stairs of the old house, awakens from a short coma, and can suddenly see and talk to the selection of eccentric ghosts who lived and died in Button House, all in the surrounding area. A quick run through of these amusing spirits, there's Kitty, a Georgian noblewoman who wants to be best friends with Alison. Oh, I thought you were talking to someone else called Kitty. No. Well, that's fine then. Friends forever. Thomas, a failed romantic poet with a bit of a thing for her. You're married, I'm dead. It can never work, can it? Maybe it can. Julian, a disgraced Tory MP who died with his trousers down quite literally in the early 90s. One, two, three. AK-47 assault rifle. Sold 50 crates of these bad boys to the Libyans in 83. Paid for my orangery. 
Lady Fanny Button, an uptight Edwardian woman. No, 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 no. She's no niece of mine. Look at her. She's exposing her knees and she's got a tattoo. Pat, a friendly scout leader from the 1980s who was killed via an arrow through the neck during a scout activity. I just wanted to say hello. Hello. Oh, hello. The captain, a stern and authoritarian World War II soldier. I am the very model of a modern major general. I'm information, vegetable, animal, and mineral. I know the kings of England, and I quote the fights historical for marathon to Waterloo in order categorical. Mary, a Stuart-era medieval witch trial victim. Horse. Ha, ha, ha. Horse. Oh, laughing horse. Robin, an actual caveman. One time, yes, uh, but with a bear. Oh, because bear was like, and I'm like, ah! and then he's like, Ooh, and I'm like, Whoa! and the bear's like, because hey. he normally. <laughs> you had to be there. And Sir Humphrey, a decapitated Tudor nobleman who is often just ahead due to the body wandering off. It's a big cast, but they all interconnect wonderfully throughout the series, and you can tell most of them have acted together for years in comedy on TV. If you haven't seen the show, I highly recommend you check it out. But today we're going to dive into the Christmas special that came out last year, shown on the BBC on December 23rd, 2020, in between series 2 and 3, titled appropriately, The Ghosts of Christmas. The episode starts with Julian, the MP in Parliament, a flashback, claiming he cares for family before cutting to him at a post-Parliament Christmas party, trying to avoid his wife and a crying baby on the phone. That this proposed bill and Christmas have a lot in common. They're both about my three favourite words, actually. And those words are... Family! Family! <laughs> Your wife's on the phone <laughs> My wife? Your wife? My wife? Uh, I spoke to her just yesterday. Sorry, chaps, it's just uh, this woman from my wedding. <laughs> Hello, dearest. God. Sorry, I can't hear a word you're saying, darling. It's a terrible line. Oh. Back in the present at Burton House, Mike's family are coming for Christmas. And as he prepares the food, the ghosts watch and get excited. What's he doing now? Yes! He's doing the sporting beef dripping. <laughs> he knows his onions. Tetons. But Julian isn't too happy about it all. Ah, humbugs. Not a fan of Christmas, Julian. Hmm? Oh, no, I'm just saying there's a jar of humbugs here. Oh. Also, I'm not a fan of Christmas. Really? Well, it's just not the same when you're dead. Can't drink booze, can't flirt with the fillies at the office Christmas party. And if you can't do that, what's the point? Go into my room. Wake me up when it's all over. And Robin the caveman has some thoughts about Christmas too. All this fuss, and for what? This whole Christmas thing, it just a fad. It's been 2,000 years, Robin. Exactly, and in mere 2,000 more, it'd be something else. Mike's sister turns up with a baby, which is exciting for some of the ghosts. Oh, a baby! Oh, it looked at me! Oh, yes, yes, babies do Caesar sometimes. Still baby walkers, usually. No, this one half the side, yeah. But they then get put in Julian's room, who is not happy with the tiny guest in his space. Hello. Nobody told me I was hosting. Ah, 
baby. Hey, now. Oh, my God, you could get lost in this place. Why is she bringing that in here? Yeah, Mike actually still does. No, no, room rules, no babies. No way, Jose. This is a non-baby entry. This is the perfect no room for the baby territory. because it's the warmest room in the I house. I know it's warm. I wear about no trousers. The kitchen. I'm sorry. Thanks, honey, you're a star. This is a baby-free... Shut up. In the land of the living, Mike is annoyed that his family have bought their own food and seem to be taking over Christmas. And Alison is annoyed at the ghost's intrusion on Christmas Eve. Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house... Sleep well. See you in the morning. Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Where is my bedroom? The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in uh, hopes that I Saint think, Nick... Uh, that's lovely, Thomas, but I think I'm going to get some sleep now. I'll see you tomorrow. You certainly will. Tomorrow. Yes, I will. Tomorrow. Oh, you will. Tomorrow. Okay. Is it Christmas yet? No. Is it Christmas Kids yet? Kids are going to sleep. Somewhere else. Well, there won't be a present tomorrow. <gasps> As predicted, Julian is not coping well with a crying baby, with some odd flashbacks to his own life and the avoidance of his own family when living. No, I won't be there, I'm afraid, darling. Far too busy in Brussels. Shut up! I know it's Christmas, darling, but these oil deals don't do themselves. Do you think I want to spend Christmas at Colonel Gaddafi's palace? As Robin says, It's Christmas! We like that. Yeah, just like that. It's amazing. Alison gets the ghosts a present of Twister, a game they can play without too much interaction. It's Twister! Yeah. It's Twister! I'm... Oh, it's amazing, Alison. Thank you. Oh, you guys are going to love this. It's so funny. <laughs> now lay it out flat, else you're going to break your ankle. Hi, Thomas. Alison. And Julian finally blows up at the baby, only to have some sort of effect. Hungry? Oh, she doesn't know what she wants, Angela. She's a moaning mini. That's what she is. Oh, I've done a poo. Oh, I need my nappy changing. Oh, I can't do it myself. Oh, really? Oh, how very convenient. You know, you're acting like a complete baby. Do you know that? I mean, well, you are a baby, but you know, that's not the point. Stop crying. Um, okay, uh, what was it? The, um... Was it the Parliament Point? No. Um, was it the Newsnight Thumbs? It was. Do you like the Newsnight Thumbs, little one? <laughs> well, I know. Angela! No, no, shh, shh. Let Mummy sleep. She needs her rest. Meanwhile, the captain wants to hear the Queen's speech or the King in his day, but is shocked to see it's now televised. I appreciate this, Alison. The monarch is our bellwether, the nation's barometer, if you will. It is vital that we listen to what they have to say at Christmas. Hello, what's, what's going on? I thought you were going to turn on the wireless. Oh, no, it's all televised now. What? Good Lord! No, 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 wait, wait, wait. No, it's like I'm in her actual drawing room. I thought this is what you wanted. Well, yes, but, but no. I mean, this is unseemly. I, I can see her posy. No, 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 this is very inappropriate, Alison. Now, an officer and a gentleman should not be privy to the colour and thickness of the Queen's curtains. And Mike blows up too at his family, but being in a reindeer onesie takes away from some of the impact. 
I just wanted to be in charge for once, okay? So that you guys can relax, yeah? Oh, good luck, Mike, because Dad's in the woods chopping trees down, okay? Your mum's ironing your tracksuits, carving the beef that you brought. That's not a side dish. It's not a side. Oh, this is a classic. Yeah, make the most of it, yeah? Make the most of it, because this is the last time I try and do anything for you ever again, okay? Yeah? As the ghosts complain, Julian has a lovely festive revelation with the other ghosts. I had a daughter, you know. She was only four years old when I died, yet I managed to miss every single Christmas with her. I missed them all. Missed the crying, the screaming, the sleepless nights. Thought I was so clever avoiding all that, but now I realize it's all part of it. Your family is supposed to drive you bonkers at Christmas. The trees never straight. The parlor games are never as hilarious as they were last year. Someone always gives you a duff present. You always end up kissing the wrong person under the mistletoe. <laughs> Been there a few times, I can tell you, but that's the point. Christmas isn't supposed to be perfect. That's what makes the whole thing so bloody Christmassy, isn't it? So, let's not get too down on the old family Christmas just yet, eh? Maybe we should just feel grateful that we're having one at all. <laughs> I never even knew what I was missing. Family, family, family. And Mike has his own nice moment of making up with his dad. The reason why our mums and dads like us want to do everything is because we like it. And maybe it's a bit because, I don't know, Scared. Scared of what? The day we can't do it anymore. Alison has been wanting to sing carols all day, but no one's been interested, so she starts on her own, but her spooky friends join in. In the bleak midwinter, frosty Stood hard as iron, water like a stone. Snow had fallen, snow on snow, snow on snow. It's a lovely festive moment to end a great special, and it showcases the best of the show because it's a show that thrives on the characters and their connected moments and the interplay between them. It does that classic British thing of having sweet moments interlaced between the humour to add something extra and sentimental. I really hope they have another Christmas special planned for the near future. When visiting Bristol earlier this year, I found a most intriguing zine in a small art and bookstore. It was called Hellbore and focused on British occult and folk history. And by luck, in the middle of the summer, I found their Yuletide edition from 2020. Inside are all sorts of articles about strange historic goings on and odd places in Britain linked to the occult or folk horror, all with some connection to Christmas or the winter season. I'll save some of them for future podcasts, but I thought I'd share one of the topics with you for our October episode this year. And that's the tale of the haunting of cold Christmas. Now I know this sounds like a typical ghost story written by some Victorian writer, but it's actually a bit of local lore. 
Before I dive in, I want to say this article that I read was written by a writer called Verity Holloway, a novelist who wrote climate change stories, such as The Beauty Secrets of the Martyrs and Pseudototh. She also published a non-fiction book called The Mighty Healer, about her Victorian cousin who made money by peddling strange remedies. I'm keen on tracking these down, and if you like this segment, perhaps give her a follow on Twitter at Verity underscore Holloway, or online at www.verityholloway.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. The local law she wrote about in the magazine comes from Hertfordshire, which is just north of London for non-British folk. More specifically, a tiny village called Thundridge, which intriguingly was named for the Norse god of thunder, Thor, meaning the ridge belonging to Thor. However, our story takes place a little further away from this settlement, at a church, once called the Church of St Mark's and All Saints, but colloquially known as the Church of Cold Christmas. It sits a little way off a road called Cold Christmas Lane, which has become a bit of a tourist spot for Halloween and Christmas visitors due to the unusual names. So much, in fact, police often patrol the site at Halloween to stop rowdy visitors causing trouble in the area or at the church. I should mention the church is actually now merely just remains, a single tower with the remainder of the church missing, broken down, sat amidst a rather ragged and ruined graveyard, with many graves broken, worn down or swallowed by the unforgiving earth. But why cold Christmas? Well, there's a story about that too. Locals tell of a Christmas season so bitterly cold, so horrid, so freezing, that almost all of the children in the parish died, taken by the icy tendrils of winter. The children were then said to have been buried in a mass grave, all being paupers, and the families too poor to pay for a proper burial. The loss at this time of year scarred the people, so much that the area became known as Cold Christmas. In 1853, the church was mostly demolished and the markers for the graves of the children lost, leaving them lost as well, with no one to mourn them or even know where to pay respects. Only the strange name of the lane and the church remained to tell their tale and of their short lives. However, There's no actual historical evidence of this happening. I'm sorry to burst the spooky bubble, but this legend is told with various historical dates mentioned from the Middle Ages through to the 1800s. It's a local legend, and no one actually really knows why Cold Christmas Lane is called so. It's one of those things that come with such an old country and old place names that are lost to time. Perhaps it's garbled Norse, or Middle English, but no one truly knows. Regardless, the church's nickname has stuck, and become an occult focus for many revellers and fascinated storytellers. It still attracts visitors and other stories of ghostly sightings and haunting voices are told and retold. It seems rather harmless, but the church has actually suffered from this legend. Revellers and visitors have often not left the church as they found it, littering, vandalising, graffitiing, generally causing issues that can't be solved by the local parish or council who have no funding to do so. In fact, it just makes more problems as the site becomes more dangerous. As Holloway says in the article, Cold Christmas is a prime example of the destructive power of folklore in the digital age. Demolition of the site is a possibility, despite some locals protesting and seeking to save it. For now, it stands, a relic of history, a link to the past, a symbol of legend and storytelling, a reminder to those story-seekers of the dead, the suffering, the past pains of the paupers of Britain. Hopefully, those people visiting will see it as a reminder of the power of stories and the memory of those long dead and we can hold on to these intriguing, eerie places for a little longer.
I'm pretty sure most of you Christmas obsessives out there will know that ghost stories used to be part and parcel of the festive celebration. In Victorian England, sitting around a fire and trying to terrify your family and friends was part of the fun of the season. A wintry, bitter night, darkness biting at the windows. Whilst you regaled, the poor victim sat around you with a tale of a spectral hand at the sill, or a poor lost soul wandering on the moors. Gothic horror reigned supreme. So a few years ago, when I discovered an album called Ghost Stories for Christmas, I knew I had to put it aside for a future October episode. In 2018, Aidan Moffat, a Scottish songwriter and musician from the legendary indie band Arabstrap, teamed up with guitarist R.M. Hubbard to record Ghost Stories for Christmas, a slow burn of an album that explores the more haunting side of festive music. It started as just a single, the title track, and the pair enjoyed making it so much a full album was crafted and released by Rock Action Records. The album is mostly original songs as well, with two covers, one of Mud's Lonely This Christmas, one of the saddest Christmas songs ever to become a standard here in the UK, so an apt choice for a rather glum, dark album. A house that's not a home Try to imagine A Christmas all alone That's where I'll be since you left me my tears could melt the snow What can I do? And a cover of Only You, a non-festive track that was a Christmas number one here in the UK for the Flying Pickets in 1983. All I needed for another day and all Considering the title of the record, the first track sets a perfect tone, called Fireside. We get the noise of a crackling fire before or after a few seconds, a slow plucked guitar line that ambles along, with distant voices of kids playing, drifting in, throughout, slightly unsettlingly so, before a sneaky sleigh bell adds a festive dash at the end. Then the title track, with more sleigh bells. Considering the title, it's more about a relationship and how we should cherish what we have, with added Father Christmas references, of course. She floats around the front room and she hovers in the hall. She hides in quiet corners, watching dramedy befall. She looks through all the paper, all the ribbon, all the cards. The good tidings and best wishes, all the kisses and regards. But it's the space that speaks the loudest. How can absence fill a room? How can nothing hang so heavy? How can it hurt? How can it loom? And can you keep it up for just a day? The bogus joy, the death display. You better watch out. Desire Path explores ideas of the rush to get home to the people we love, especially at Christmas. Run all the corners, run all the lights, get your skates on and put that foot down. Scar the earth for me. Just follow the crow and follow my call. My voice is your star of Bethlehem. 
And trying to find our youthfulness again. On a creased forehead, white hairs curl from my chin and plump cheeks. And behind cheap readers, my bloodshot eyes are laden with the sacks of seniority. Don't open any presents without me. I say as I kiss my daughter and put her back down. I sneak away from the joy and the noise to find respite in the toilet. I lock the door, and in a brand new mirror, I fix my hair and beard and regard my paunch. I sigh. One of my favourite songs on the record is called Weihnachtimung, and I hope I pronounced that correctly. It means Christmas spirit in German. And it's a beautiful, stark expression of the celebration we all hold dear, with added references to Doctor Who, Wise Men, Mariah Carey, and the love of each other we explore at this time of year more than any other. Our longest night is over, and our son is born. Not the boy in a manger, I mean the sun in the sky. The light will return. And our world again grows. So let's toast the trees with cider and watch Doctor Who. We don't need wise men and virgins. here are more like spoken word performances with minimal but effective guitar and drums, but it adds to that effect of the ghost story vibe really well. The fir tree adds ominous strings and has Moffat reading out a story from Hans Christian Andersen from the perspective of a Christmas tree being brought into a warm loving house then being discarded in the shed, chopped up and burnt in the fire. Appropriately bleak for a ghost story album. To live in big warm houses and to be dressed in silver and gold. Oh, to be dressed in silver and gold, said the tree. And then one day, finally, his Christmas came. The family in the forest chose him instantly. He was just right. The woodcutter came and freed him from his roots, and the family brought him to a beautiful, opulent home with big comfy furniture and a huge TV. They stood him in a tub of sand and hung lights all over him. Lights that flashed... Things stay misanthropic towards the end of the record with Ode to Plastic Mistletoe discussing sitting alone, sadly in a pub on New Year's Eve with plastic tinsel and no snow, just damp and drizzle. When it came to loving you, 
as I sit here without you With my clothes and my soul both soaked through The kids sing out their festive song This bar, this town, it's not where I belong final track has Moffat reciting extracts from festive essays of Charles Dickens, praising the season once more and encouraging people to fill their glass and heart. A more hopeful ending than I was expecting. Christmas time. That man must be a misanthrope indeed, in whose breast something like a jovial feeling is not roused in whose mind some pleasant associations are not awakened by the recurrence of Christmas. There are people who will tell you that Christmas is not to them what it used to be, that each succeeding Christmas has found some cherished hope or happy prospect of the year before, dimmed or passed away. And the last moments drop away to some very cute kids, I'm guessing Moffat's kids, singing a Christmas song. So while the title and some of the tracks give a gloomy, dark sense of the season, it's more hopeful and happy and merry than glum. And very much well worth a listen for some alternative Christmas tunes as we head towards December. So that's it for this festive spooktacular, but there may well be a hidden fright popping into your feeds in the next few days that will be more of a pure Halloween horror show, well as much as this geeky British voice can muster. Until then. And happy blooming Christmas to you and all. <laughs>